Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. No matter who you hire, no matter what mastermind you join, please don't just rely on books. Get into relationship in friendship or in client relationship, or if you're looking at master investing, get into a deal with somebody who has a good track record. Whoever it is, whatever asset class it is, get into one because that is how you'll save time, energy, frustration. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm your host, Joe Cornwell. Today's episode is brought to you by BAM Capital, a trusted multifamily syndicator that has never missed a preferred payment and never lost an LP's investment. To learn more about investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com or click the link in the show notes. And today I'm with Sterling Griffin. Sterling Capital is his company and they do medical-based real estate development, triple net commercial, and this is his first time on this show. So welcome, Sterling. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into your first real estate deal. Thank you, Joe. Well, it all started in the kitchen of my hero almost exactly three and a half years ago. This is a person who in my previous business I was running had a company 10 times the size of mine, making 20 times the profit. Honestly, until that moment, I would have said he's living my dream. But then it hit me. I'm actually happier than him. What I realized in that moment is that more money does not mean more fulfillment in life. It doesn't mean more freedom. And that set me on a path to really answering this one question. How can I both use the money that I've worked hard for in my company to enjoy life, but also create more time for me to do the things that I love beyond work? I didn't just want to do a work and a career that I enjoyed, but I wanted to have a life outside of it. So for me at that moment, I decided that was the end of my first company. From that moment on, I was building towards an exit so that I could explore this mythical idea that I'd heard other people talk about, which is passive income. Up until that moment, in my previous four years of business from starting my first company, everything was not just active income, it was stressful income. And I was ready to find a way that some people seem to be talking about this idea. Maybe it's just TV shows or something. But passive income seems like something that, that they believe is real. So when I sold my first company, about six months after that, I joined 
a real estate mastermind. I'm sure many of your both guests and listeners are familiar with this mastermind. It's called Go Abundance. And it's a mastermind of several hundred guys, all millionaires, and pretty much everyone in there either built their wealth through real estate investing or are using their now built wealth to invest in real estate. And I was interested in joining because look, I haven't bought a property. I haven't bought a passive cash flowing deal before. I want to learn from experts. That's always how I think, at least since I started my first company, that is, because I learned that that's how successful people do things. They don't try and figure it out on their own. They tag along with somebody who's already figured out what they want. So when I joined that group, what was interesting is out of 100 or 120 deals that I looked at in the first few months, just trying to understand real estate, trying to understand the math, trying to understand locations and what makes a good deal, what makes a bad deal, all stuff which would be old news and boring to you, Joe. But for me, it was fascinating. It was all brand new at the time. But what I started to notice a very simple trend, and that is 95% of the deals I was looking at were right down the middle of the fairway, value add, multifamily apartment deals. That is pretty much everything that I saw. And for whatever reason, that set off a little alarm in my head. Mind you, this is at the end of 2020. This is happening, kind of going into the beginning of 2021. That little alarm started sounding like, if everybody is buying this, if this is all I'm seeing, maybe I'm catching this on its way down rather than its way up. And whether or not that assertion was absolutely true, what it illustrated for me is, look, all these guys are doing it. They've been in this game a lot longer than me. I can get good returns being here, but I knew eventually I wasn't just going to invest passively in a sidecar. I wanted to create deals for other investors. I was fascinated by this idea of creating freedom with my wealth. So I just knew that I'm not as smart as these guys. I got to find something else that's going to do well over the long term that, quite frankly, is on its way, hopefully up rather than in its most mature phase. So that set me down a path of, we can talk about it if you like, what I started investing in next. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. So what was your original company that you started? I had an online consulting company that was, at first was for high net worth professionals to change their fitness, to lose weight, gain muscle, and to have better energy for their work. It was first that I grew that company quite quickly. I started my company when I was homeless, which is a whole other story. Eight years ago, I was living in my Honda Accord. I lived in it for five months. It's totally depressed. My life was broken. It had fallen apart. And when I started my first company with the help of, again, mentors, people that have been there, done that, within two years, I became a millionaire as an online fitness coach. Then I transitioned to being a business mentor for other trainers that wanted to create at least six-figure income online. So I built that company over several years. Really, by the end, it wasn't a consulting company anymore. It was a school because it didn't involve me needing to consult. It was my staff that was running every core part of the business, which is obviously why I was able to sell it and then start creating passive income from my exit. Interesting. If you don't mind sharing a little bit of your backstory, I know in your bio, it said you had been an actor previously. And so lead me up to prior to being homeless, whatever details you're willing to share. But I think it'd be interesting to tell your full story here. Sure. I think there's a couple specific moments that are the most important for listeners. And I can tell you this, I never imagined when I graduated college that I'd end up homeless. But yet there I was two years after graduating, driving that old Honda Accord that I had to church. And I was driving there looking for a handout, to be honest with you, so that I wouldn't have to sleep in the car again that night. And this is on New Year's Eve going into 2016. So you get a specific moment 
And while I was driving, all those same negative self-esteem voices were popping in. Oh, Sterling, how did you screw up your life this bad? How did you get here? And then the other voice said, well, it's not your fault. It's your alcoholic mother. It's your absent father. If they had done better, you wouldn't be here. But then the truth showed up in that moment. It was no, Sterling, it was your choices that brought you here. And it's only your choices that can bring you out. And in that moment, after a lifetime of struggling with depression and three months of homelessness, at that point, I decided I was finally ready for something new. And my motivation came from this thing that came out of my mouth. And it was, Sterling, you're going to get out. It's time to get out of this position. I had never started a company before this. I was fresh out of being in ministry six months prior. But I realized ministry wasn't the right fit for me anymore. So here I am not having that. What is my purpose in life? I, I just was really struggling with depression on the other side of it. And in that moment, I said, so it's time to get out of this position in life and to do it so fast that one day you can become an inspiration to the people that are sitting in your chair right now. Because in the moment you're in, you are not alone. There are other people struggling too. And so it's time to build something meaningful that helps people get paid for it. And then the story one day will be of service to the people that are struggling too. So that really was my core. I wanted to grow a company quickly. And just two months prior, I had attended a Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within event. And this is important timing because the first month I was homeless was the month that I went to see Tony Robbins. And the reason why I did is my life had slowly been getting worse and worse, slowly running out of money. And that last month, I actually did have enough money to pay for another month of rent. It was $250 to be the fifth in a two bedroom, 400 square foot apartment. But I chose after listening, by the way, I found this great app on our phones. It says podcast. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it was new to me at that time. But I was just like, oh, I get all this information from all these amazing successful people for free. This is great. So I found this guy, Tony Robbins. And I heard him and he's so inspiring, came from nothing to be this person who's helping millions of people change their lives. So I was like, I got to get in the room with him. He's got answers that I need to fix my life. So I did. Instead of paying rent, I chose to buy a ticket as event and just move into my car a month early. And while I was there, have you ever seen Tony Robbins before? You ever been to one of his events, Joe? I've not been to an event, but yeah, I've seen several on video and audio. Okay. Well, people that listen to this show, a lot of people would be familiar with him, if not having gone to his events like me. And on day three of that event, it's like a big four day long rock concert with personal development mixed in. It's four days, 12 hours a day. It's crazy. Okay. Very, very energy expensive. Okay. You're just jumping up and down, going crazy, learning while, all along the way. And on the third day, Tony Robbins leans in at one point. He says, listen, if you forget everything else from what I'm about to share with you, but just this one phrase, and then you use it, you will get more than your money's worth and it will change your life. And so, of course, I'm leaning in. I'm living in my car. I scoot to the edge of my seat, Joe, and I got my pen ready to paper. He says, proximity is power. Who you surround yourself with is who you become. I realized in that moment, the reason why I was depressed, struggling, had little hope for my life was because that was all the people I was talking to. All the people that were on my phone, that was their life too. And so that began a journey for me. And I said this at the beginning of the interview, I got really focused on getting around people that had already achieved the results in life that I wanted and to minimize time with people who didn't. And really that core foundational idea is the most important belief that's made everything since then that I enjoy possible. Well, just hearing the way you speak and your presence, it does remind me of two things. And it's very ironic, right? Very much that kind of energy you get from, from watching and listening to Tony Robbins and listening to ministry, the two things it sounds like you have in your background. So I can definitely pick up on that energy and it makes sense with your background. 
So one question I forgot to ask, where were you based at this point, 2016, where were you living at the time room besides your car? Yes, yeah, so I was parking my car in Hollywood, okay. California. Okay, California, gotcha. Okay, so I had moved out there to be a pastor at a church, to be an assistant pastor on staff there. And when I left, I just stayed and, and built my first company out of that area. Okay, awesome. And where are you based today? Great city of Austin, Texas. Wonderful. Okay, so I appreciate you sharing some of your personal experiences. I know that's not always easy, so we appreciate that. So tell me about how you got into real estate initially. I know you said you'd sold your company and what was your next steps? Yeah. So again, I was sharing how I get a little scared, a little anxious when I start seeing that everybody is buying one very specific type of asset and I needed to find something else. So inside the group and outside the group, there were a couple people that I met that were doing what's called triple net investing. And most of the listeners I'm sure are going to be aware of this, but just a quick overview, triple net investing means net taxes net maintenance and net insurance. It basically just means that your tenant is a big boy or a big girl and they manage themselves, okay? You don't have to get involved in fixing toilets and repainting walls. They manage all of that and pay for it all themselves. So the lease structure that you have and your tenants are businesses, okay? Obviously, but in case it's not obvious for somebody, you don't deal with residents. This is all with businesses. And these leases not only are very passive for the landlord, but they can also be much longer than what you'd expect with a residential lease. The average is typically between three to five years on a lease, which means that one thing that I say is, well, I'll get to that later, but what I'll say about these leases, when I discovered this as an option, it really woke me up. It got me excited, honestly, because I had always thought of real estate as only being you're dealing with residents. You're dealing with getting property manager calls at 7 a.m. on a Friday saying they busted pipe or whatever, and they don't have the permission or whatever to fix it. Okay. I just thought it was more stress. And so I wanted to stay away from it. But when I found this lease structure as an option, I'm like, I want to be in that space. So I ended up buying a deal. I bought an industrial property from one of these guys in the group. I was just like, look, if I want to learn this space and eventually do deals in it, is in create deals in it, I probably should just buy my first few from somebody else and learn by buying. So I bought a $3.65 million industrial property in Wisconsin. And an interesting thing happened six months later that I didn't plan for, I didn't expect. My tenant was purchased by a large public company. And then that large public company extended the lease. Now, for people that aren't aware of what this can do to your valuation, typically in multifamily, it takes a long time to change the valuation of your property. And by long, I'm talking three to five years because that's just how much time it takes to change the vacancy rate, to renovate the units. It just takes a while, okay? You got a lot more stuff to do, the bigger properties. But in triple net, the change to valuations can literally happen overnight in big chunks. And it doesn't require many times any construction on the part of the operator. So what happened when that happened is because my tenant was a much more secure tenant than the smaller regional tenant that was there before, and they had a longer time frame they were agreed to pay, I added a million dollars in value to my property. And I literally didn't do anything, which was great. But the flip side of that is that it spoiled the crap out of me because now I want every single deal I buy to be this unicorn situation. I want them all to be, hey, I buy it and then I'm getting it way under market value and then it gets this big boost. So what I started doing from there is now knowing, okay, this is what I want to buy. I want to buy triple net stuff. I start calling brokers. And literally over the next seven months, I called a thousand brokers looking for a very specific type of property that fit this criteria. I wanted something that was a high cap rate. I wanted long leases. I wanted very good tenants and I wanted them in good areas. 
And one after another, each broker said to me, look, I don't have this deal, but I'll tell you what, if I did, I would either buy it or I would sell it to my buddy who I've been doing 20 years of deals with. I'm not gonna sell it to a fresh face. I gotta be honest with you. So this happened over and over and over again. And when I get my mindset on something, I just don't give up easily. I'm very persistent. Sometimes it causes a lot of pain in my life, but then sometimes it causes benefits. So one day my next mentor came to me and said, look, I understand what you're trying to do. And there is a way to do it, but you need to go about it a little bit different way. Here's what you should try instead. You need to find tenants that are already well-established. They've got multiple locations. They've got good financials. And you need to go to them and say, look, I'm going to buy you a new piece of property. I'll pay for all your build out for a new location because for some of these tenants, it's very expensive, specifically medical tenants. It's very expensive. And then once they agree in exchange, they're going to give you a long-term lease paying for rent inside that property. So you pay for it. And then they agreed to cover the income over the long term. And he said, specifically medical tenants will also give you the longest term leases because they have the most stable businesses of the different types of companies that will sign triple net agreements. He said up to 20 years even, which was, again, before that, it was a crazy number. I couldn't even imagine that. So I start calling up some tenants that he recommended, and I found one, and I'm going to give you the short version of what happened next. I ended up buying three urgent cares and one emergency room with this one specific tenant, agreeing to pay for all the build-out. And I did not raise any capital from investors. This was all my own capital that I used to do this. But across those four properties, I bought them for $18.5 million. This is all in 2022. Total cost of $18.5 million. Now, within a couple months, they refinanced or sold. Most of them I sold, but one I refinanced at a total value of $25 million. So for those of you that are tracking your nerds like me, you know the term IRR. Well, that's a 40% IRR basically within a couple months. And more important than that, return on equity, just true return was over 200% doing this. And it's because I knew how to set up the deal the right way off market. Please hear me on that. Off market is the best way you want to buy in real estate. And then I sold them on market. So I listed them. I made it public when I was ready. And one of the advantages I had, one of the things I really want to share, because again, this is my own money on the line. I'm being very careful here. Before I closed on those properties at that combined $18.5 million valuation, I started showing the deal to appraisers. And I said, what should I expect to sell this for? And I think anyone that wants to do this should obviously do the same. Make sure that what you could sell for is what you think it's selling for on the market. He said, oh, no, you're getting them at a big discount doing it with this specific structure, developing off market, selling on market. And so that gave me the confidence that what I was doing is going to keep me safe. And therefore, I got this big return. So since then, I've had a number of guys, most of them from my previous space, my previous company background being like, yo, you're getting deals this good, getting returns this good. I, I can't find that in other types of deals. You should really make medical a bigger thing because I don't think most people know about this as an option. So that's probably a longer answer than you were looking for, but that gives you a little bit of That's fantastic you. overview of your strategy. I do have a couple follow-up questions. So is this also in Austin where you're doing these medical type deals? No, so most of my properties I develop now are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So it's not far, but I can just get the right entry price that I'm looking for. I have plenty of options on properties and more tenants want to be in the Dallas area right now just because the costs all make sense compared to Austin. But I'll expand to Houston the second half of next year as well as in fourth quarter next year into the Austin-San Antonio market. Okay. And how did you connect with these tenants? That's probably one of my most burning questions when I'm picturing the strategy. Same way I found the properties in the original, I was calling brokers. I was calling brokers, hey, do you know any tenants that are really looking to aggressively expand? And by the way, I used parameters that that first broker that told me about this strategy was telling me to use. He's like, you want to have companies that are already solvent. 
they're already doing well financially. You don't want a mom and pop single location group. You want a group that's a minimum of eight locations because for whatever reason, eight to 10 locations around that number, that company has survived the hardest part of their liftoff period. And they're more or less solvent, especially if you've got an operator who has long-term medical business building experience, preferably they've already had an exit in a different medical business. And then they're kind of rinse and repeat using a strategy with a new company here now. And I understand that's narrow, but I ended up finding a few tenants that that's the case for specifically where the CEO was in that specific position. And it just gave me comfort because again, at the end of the day in triple net, the biggest place you get screwed is by buying with a tenant that doesn't last. It's very important, people know. And so there's two ways that you wanna make sure you can offset this risk that I did. First of all, I'm in the right industry. In medical, which the demographics support medical being a great place to place capital long-term. And one of the biggest and simplest reasons why is because we're an aging nation right now. We are trending older. As of 2020, 8.5% of the population is that geriatric age, so 65 and older. And those are the people that spend the most on healthcare. That's logical for most people, they understand that. But by 2050, that percentage is gonna be 16.7% of the population. It's almost double as a percentage. And we do not have supply to meet the demand that is coming. Yet, here's the other th side of this, which is shocking. This is honestly shocking when I found this out. Most people assume that healthcare companies, especially ones where people are seeing patients in person, that it's a very consolidated industry, meaning it's a mature industry because healthcare has been around a long time. It's not like tech, right? But it actually isn't. Urgent cares, for example, which is the most popular way that people get healthcare today, kind of walking off the street, your service is fast, it's cheap, that's how most people do it. Well, there's no one provider of urgent cares that is more than 5% of all of them. That's crazy. In more mature spaces, it'll be 20, 30, 40%. Think about Amazon. Who's the next biggest person? You don't know. It doesn't matter because Amazon is going to win long-term. And if anything, if anyone else in the e-commerce space is lucky, they're just gonna get bought by Amazon. It's not the same way in healthcare. So because of that, if I get on board with some of these tenants that are doing well financially, but they're not at the super big public company level yet, and they're doing a service in a specific market with a specific niche that's needed, then they're going to get bought or go public in the future, which would, again, provide me the same exit strategy, or at least optional exit strategies I had with my first deal, where a bigger company purchases my lease versus the tenant who is paying my lease, and then it makes my upside much greater at that point. So... This original deal you were talking about, the 18 and a half million purchase price, was this one property or was this, no, no, no. Was this a portfolio? Good question. This is four properties. One, four properties. Did you buy this from one seller? With one tenant. So there are different properties, specific locations, which were owned by all different sellers. But I made an agreement with the tenant on the front end that they would be the tenant once I purchased each property. Perfect. Okay. And at what point were you guaranteed these leases on these properties that you were attempting to Good buy? Good question. So the lease was signed before I ever got into contract on land. The way that it works is I got this land, I would show through a broker, right? The broker would bring me different pieces of property in certain areas that my tenant wanted to be. And then I would essentially get a sign off. I would say, if I bought this property, are you going to sign a lease? And then we'd negotiate the number, what rent amount that number would be. And then they'd sign. Then I would close on the property. This way, I wasn't going to be left holding the bag with a property I can't put a tenant into. I'll tell a quick story. I had just a regular residential duplex here in Cincinnati where I'm based. And during my renovation process, I started doing some marketing. 
was reached out to by a medical rehabilitation. So they did high profile drug and alcohol rehabilitation. So from here in Cincinnati, it was like Reds and Bengal players are pro football and baseball. Anyway, so they wanted a secure live-in facility to do their treatment. Well, ended up basically coming to all of these agreements verbally, and I'm getting to the point where I made the mistakes. That's why I asked. We kind of do some specific build out things that they asked for. And they ultimately ended up saying they wanted to take the entire property. So both apartments. And then literally the Friday they were supposed to sign the lease and start moving patients in, they said they had found double the square footage house that they ended up taking. So obviously very frustrating, deflating. And that's why I asked that question because I made the mistakes that it sounds like you did not make about getting that stuff in writing. Ahead well, of time. let me stop you there, Joe, because I did make that mistake on a different property. And I'll explain that story real quick. With a previous tenant, prior to working with this one, I found an urgent care corporation that was looking to expand locations. And this was a similar thing. I had three deals, a total value of $12 million. And I had set up the transaction exactly the way that I'm telling you here on these later deals, where I had a price on the front end that I was all in for. And then actually I was setting up a double close transaction where I had buyers on the back end agreeing to purchase them for more. Now, once this transaction was completed, I was gonna be making a lot of money and I would not have had any risk. It would have been just the new buyers that would have been on. Some of these buyers I knew, some I didn't. But then a couple days before we closed on the land and closed on the transaction, paying the tenant, paying the construction, the other developer on the deal to pay for the build out, that tenant came to me and said, look, we're not willing to sign this lease. Actually, we want a contingency where if the construction isn't done exactly the way we want in like nine months, then we can just opt out and cancel the lease. Now, that being said, there was maybe a five to 10% chance they would have taken it up on it. The tenant had a lot of upside being in this specific location so they wanted to be there. However, when you get that message a couple days before closing from a tenant saying, we're going to leave the liability on the landlord, not ourselves, that is not a message that you want to receive. And I just couldn't imagine sleeping at night, having gone through with that deal and leaving those buyers in a position where nine months, they could have lost a significant amount of value without that tenant being in place. So it ended up being a few hundred grand loss for me because I tied up those properties I just put a lot of money into the development costs already that I was not going to get back. And the whole way the deal would have worked is I would have got paid back my investment plus a lot more, but I intend to be in this business a long time. So there are people that'll just take the money and run, but those people, they don't last. Everybody finds out about them eventually and they get out of the business. But the people that end up taking the hit and <laughs> taking a punch in the mouth and say, it's my fault, I'll take the hit here. I think those people have a little bit longer staying powder. So that was what was in mind for me. I've been there. So if I'm understanding you correctly on the whole scope here, you are finding these properties and these are developable lots that you're actually doing new construction, correct? You're not buying existing. They're renovations building. mostly. Okay, so they're, they're renovations mostly. Now, some of my tenants have said, look, we want to do new builds. But the thing is, is the construction is much faster when you're renovating an existing structure. So it makes the time between purchase and sell much more quickly. So one of the things that are really core to my philosophy, if you look at the core fundamentals of my company, there are three of them, security, passivity, and velocity. The security and passivity kind of take care of themselves. We've talked about some of the guarantees I set up and all that, and I can talk about it more. But velocity is something that most people that are in development or they're in the value add space in general, they don't have as a priority. They just think that construction takes as long as it takes. And if it takes longer, so what? Figure it out. Well, what that does is it depresses your returns over time. Most people have gotten used to maybe 16, 18% IRR for LPs I'm talking about is just par for the course. It's just standard. That's what people can get. 
But if you can compress the development time to where now instead of a three-year development period on construction, which may more or less be typical with multifamily deals, now you can compress it to say 11 months to where you buy the land and you're open in 11 months, then all of a sudden your IRR is your return source because you're adding maybe a few points in your cap rate spread and value and you're just doing it in half the time or maybe a third of the time. So one of my beliefs is how do I set up this deal to get done as quickly as possible? And again, assuming that security and passivity are set up because it doesn't matter how much money you stand to make on a deal if the first two are not taken care of. If a deal stresses you out or you could lose your money, it does not matter how much money you can make on it. It only matters once those first two conditions are satisfied. So anyway, all that to say, yes, I'm trying to compress time on the development. So one of the ways that I do that is I have existing structures that can be converted quickly. Okay. That was my follow-up question. So you're buying these existing properties. You are building them out specifically. You already have a tenant in mind and in some cases, you already have your in-buyer place as well. So you basically have a full transaction sandwich, let's call it, ready to go. You're putting all these pieces together before you even close on the initial purchase. Is that all correct? That's right. But let me qualify that. That is what I was able to do in 2022 because lenders were more aggressive in how they could value properties on the end purchase. So I just had more buyers available to me at better pricing. But now that lenders have tightened up for obvious reasons, that structure doesn't work as well. So it ends up needing to take me a little bit longer where I got to build and finish the property and then I can list it on the market and sell it. And of course, those buyers can put debt on it. So that is more my structure now. I was able to do these deals. I did have happy buyers on the other side of it in 2022. However, going forward, I'm not promising anyone get 200% return on their equity. I'd never tell my investors that or 40% IRR. Typically, the numbers are down. Now we're looking at about 30 to 31%. That's what I'm targeting. I'm not making financial promises to anybody. <laughs> Please don't sue me. But that is the way that my target return is set up in my current structure. Okay. So now you're syndicating these deals? That's right. I put money into each deal and then also I raise money from investors. This just allows me to do more just like anybody else. But the unique thing is that I think most people get into this space and they start with syndicating. They start with using other people's money. But again, being the guy that was more new and I was the guy that sold a company, I wanted to test with my own capital first before I ever used an investor capital, which by the way, remember I told you that first set of transactions, I was essentially putting up, risking my own money and then I was going to sell to other investors the way that I did it the next time is I put all my own money and I didn't have any investors on the back end tied up until all the agreements were actually signed. And then I got other investors in to purchase it. But again, it was selling at the finished price, not at the pre-development price. Now I raise money from investors on the pre-development side. So they're getting in on the front end with me and participating in the upside. Gotcha. That makes sense. So there was a couple notes I made here and you talked earlier about mentorship way back when you were dealing with your homeless situation. And then you also talked about mentorship when you got into real estate. So I guess just generally speaking, how are you finding these mentors that you've looked up to over the years? And what would your advice be to the listener who may be in a situation where not necessarily homeless, but they feel stuck. They feel like they're in a situation they can't climb out of themselves. And what would your advice be? I love this question so much because again, I have to give credit where it's due. I enjoy the life that I do today because I either made friends with or paid somebody that was ahead of me. And I got really committed to this idea early on when I was literally still homeless. I remember I had a conversation with 
another coach, somebody who was making over six figures a year selling life coaching. And that was the most incomprehensible idea. Wait, you're literally talking to people on the phone and you're making six figures a year. It was incomprehensible, but it gave me a lot of hope that it was possible, right? Well, one night I was having a conversation with her and she said, well, who's mentoring you? I was telling her my whole sob story is so hard to get clients, so hard to get ahead. And she asked me that question and I said, well, nobody, I don't have enough money for a mentor. And she didn't buy that excuse. She responded right back. She said, no, the problem is you don't have enough money not to hire a mentor. Your bigger problem is that you don't know how to make money when you need it. It's not that you don't have money. So a light bulb went off in my head and I realized from that moment on, I needed the skill of earning money. I needed the skill later, applying the same lesson, of investing money. And that skill does not come naturally to me. So I need to get into a relationship with somebody else who is doing that. So what happened next is I asked her right there. I said, do you have a recommendation? Do you have a referral of somebody who can mentor me? And I would recommend, in answer to your question, somebody else who's listening to this and wants a mentor, ask the most successful person you know this question. Who would you recommend mentor me? She introduced me to a name. And that next month, I scraped all the money I had available, which was not much, and all the space I had on credit cards, not much, and made the first payment for a mentor. I got off to a pretty good start working with him, but I needed a couple months to really lock in. And the end of that first month, going into the second month, I was due for a second payment of $2,500. It didn't have the money. Well, a few days into that next month, that mentor's called me. He said, hey, look, if you don't pay by tomorrow, I'm going to take you out of the program. And I just had this moment where I was like, I can't go back to trying to figure this out on my own. I need this program because if I stay here long enough, eventually it's going to wear off on me. I'm going to think the way he thinks. I'm going to have these systems and I'll know how to earn money when I need it in the future. So it was 2 p.m. when I had this realization. I'm looking outside of my apartment where I was staying at the time and my eyes fall to the parking lot. And there I see my car. In that moment, I knew what I needed to do. By 4 p.m., I'd written an ad and posted it on Craigslist. By 9 p.m., somebody handed me $4,000 cash and drove away with my car. The next day, I go to the bank, put that cash in there, and send him the $2,500. I had sold my car to pay that coach. Just what I was living in two months prior, I sold it so that I could stay working with him. And I did that because at this moment, I was like, if anything can help me, it's this person's knowledge. They have the business. They have the life that I want. So the short version of what happened next is I kept hiring mentors. 15 months later, I was making $300,000 a month in income. Okay, that next month, I made $12,000 after working with that coach. It was the best decision I ever made. So please, no matter who you hire, no matter what mastermind you join, please don't just rely on books. Please get into relationship in friendship or in client relationship. Or if you're looking at master investing, get into a deal with somebody who has a good track record. Whoever it is, whatever asset class it is, get into one because that is how you'll save time, energy, frustration. Yeah, the whole mentor, coaching, whatever you want to call it, business and industry is one I've struggled with over the years. I've had different opinions as my personal journey has progressed. And it's one where I feel like there are a lot of people out there who are not authentic and they coach or mentor because they can't do, so to speak the old adage, if you can't do teach or whatever. And I think that some of that is true. Obviously there are people out there that have legitimate ability to coach. And when I look at it from, let's say the pro mentorship, even paid perspective, it's like, if you are taking the knowledge and person you are today, and you're able to expedite that and condense, let's say maybe a five or 10 year, really long and painful journey for most of us as entrepreneurs and investors and compress it down to six or 12 months, it's probably worth whatever that number is.
And obviously there are some programs out there that are really, really expensive. And I have friends that offer really expensive programs. So I understand the pros and cons, so to speak. Now, what I will say is that people who have came to me and asked one for my own mentorship or coaching or a referral, I always preface anything I tell them with, you can absolutely do this yourself, but you're going to have to go through the pain and suffering and years of work. But if you want to do that journey, you can. So I don't want anyone to be discouraged thinking, oh, well, my only option is to pay somebody. But if you find the right coach in the right situation for you personally, yes, I think you can expedite and minimize the pain. And the other thing is, well, let's use syndication, for example, right? That's a common thing you see people out there offering courses or coaching. If you're a very successful syndicator, you can make hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars in just acquisition fees alone. So if you're paying someone twenty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 for that experience, it's super expensive when you have no money. And you're like the prototypical story. You're talking about $2,500 to pay that you had to sell your car, which was your house, like you said, two months ago. So you're the prime example of someone seeing the value and the necessity of that. But obviously just doing the math, let's say you spend $20,000 on coaching, but it makes you millions of dollars over the next five years. Obviously, logically, it was worth doing. I think the problem happens when people don't actually commit to that process and don't actually fulfill it or don't have the skill set. Sometimes you have to be honest with yourself. You may not have the actual skill set to do whatever it is you're trying to learn how to do people fail and then they look at it as wasted money and it could be. So anyway, I think mentorship is a very timely topic. You hear it a lot, especially now that we're in a little bit slower market. I feel like there's a lot of people transitioning into coaching. Thank you for sharing well, your experience. Well, speaking to that. And again, I just want to be clear. I don't offer coaching. I don't have a mastermind. I don't have a course. So I'm not selling any of that. I had my season of doing that in a different space. And now I'm just not interested because that's a very time expensive business to run that. And I just realized I don't want to be in it anymore. However, what you said is true. Well, let me put it this way. A lot of people say that money can't buy happiness. And that just isn't true. And the reason why it's not true is because money can buy time. And the way that you use time can make you very, very happy. It's not guaranteed. A lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of time on their hands are not happy. But please understand. But if you spend your time with people that you love, doing things that you love, when you feel like doing them, then you will be a very happy person. Okay. So that being said, when you buy mentorship, when you buy into a deal, when you buy into a relationship with somebody that's more successful than you, however you get in there, what will happen automatically is even if you don't get the intended result that you thought you were going to get, you will get a little piece of their thinking, a little piece of their emotional set point, and a little piece of their behavior sets because humans are really like monkeys. And monkey see, monkey do. Monkey feel, monkey feel. Monkey think, monkey think. We become like those that we're around. And very much like you, Joe, I've bought mentorship that at the end of the day, I was frustrated I bought it. I wish that I hadn't because I didn't get what I wanted. And yet the habit, the focus of making mentorship a important part of my life over time, the aggregate amount of mentors that I've hired have all led to a big upward trajectory. Not every single mentor gave me what I wanted, but if we look at the last 20 of them in different fields, they all contributed to a major change in my life that I wouldn't have otherwise. And just like investments, if you've been investing long enough, you have bought a deal that didn't work out and you lost your money. It's how it goes. But should you let that not have you invest in the next deal or any deal in the future? Well, you could, but then you'd experience way more pain from that decision. So while yes, some deals go bad 
overall investing the deals that go bad just help educate you and then you from there filter to the right kinds of operators the right kinds of people that you want to do business with and then over time you will do better in life so that's my thinking on it. no i couldn't agree more that's great advice and let's uh, transition to the best ever lightning round you ready let's do it awesome what is your best ever book recommendation the success principles by jack Canfield. I've gifted this book to over 250 people. It is my Bible. Really, it's the personal development Bible. If I had one book on a desert island that I could read over and over again, and I have read this book over 13 times, it would be that one. Best ever way you like to give back? Charity Water. It's an organization that brings water to underprivileged nations around the world that don't have access to it. And their model is amazing because they give 100% of every single dollar to the field. They take nothing out for administrative costs. They raise that privately from the public. So I love their model. Very cool. And give me a mistake on a deal you've done and the lessons learned from it. Well, <laughs> I shared it actually. I shared it earlier in this conversation and that was when I locked that deal up under contract. I started investing into the development side, into the construction side, taking the tenant's word after, by the way, not doing a background check on the founders, not having done a deal with them in the past. I just said, they're telling me it's one way. It's gotta be one way. I didn't learn that lesson of trust, but verify. And I got burned. I lost a few hundred thousand dollars that I won't get back. And it was a beautiful experience because now the guarantees that I set up on all of my agreements and all of my deals before money's exchanged, I'm talking corporate guarantees from all the tenants, pre-purchasing land, developer guarantees so that the construction side developer gives me a set price on how much it's gonna cost to build. And if it goes above it, it's their balance sheet on the line, not mine. And then occasionally personal guarantees from the either developer or corporation in line as well. So. I'm guarantee heavy in all of my deals with the people that I do deals with who are sitting on the other side of the table. Yeah, it's great advice. And that also tells me that you have a very desirable product because if people could go anywhere down the street and get this type of deal or this type of property, you probably wouldn't be able to have that much leverage in that situation. So obviously these are very unique deals that are highly motivating for the tenants and the end buyers. Yep, exactly. So one just simple idea, and I would have people write this down, okay? Especially if you're a new deal maker or you're a new investor or maybe even experienced investor. It's very simple. Buy off market, sell on market. Whenever possible, please use that filter. Buy deals that are invisible to the public markets that have not been elevated to their true value, which is what a market does. It elevates asset prices to a true collective value and then sell them on market. If you master that, if you learn to find the invisible deals, buy them. And again, this is the game everybody's trying to play, but it's just a simple way of explaining it. Buy off market, buy on market, you'll do well. That's wonderful advice. And Sterling, where can people learn more about what you're doing and connect with you? So the question I get asked most is, Sterling, can you help me invest into a medical deal even if I've never bought one before? And the answer is yes. The way that you can figure out how you can create financial freedom or get started on the path to it with medical real estate, just go to passive medicalrealestate.com, passivemedicalrealestate.com, and I'll send you a free getting started guide on how you can assess and buy your first medical property. Awesome, and we will be sure to link to that in the show notes. Sterling, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for bringing the energy today. I appreciate it. And best ever listeners, if you got value from Sterling today, please make sure to leave us a five-star review, follow us on social media, and I hope you all have a best ever day. Sterling, again, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure, Joe. Thank you. Hi, Best Ever listeners, Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, 
Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.